Hello, and welcome to The Shakedown, where we discuss the criminal justice system from the inside out. The goal of this podcast is to explain how the criminal justice system works from policing to courts to prison to parole and how they affect all of us. The hosts of The Shakedown draw from personal experience and share their stories. Our hosts include Malone, who spent 30 years in Texas prisons and is now a published comic book artist. Dave has been in and out of prisons for most of his life and is a proud dad. Both have traveled the country speaking about their experience with Texas prisons. My name is Ryan, a.k.a. Rainforest, and I spent six years in Texas prisons during which time I studied sociology, criminology, and writing. I now live up in Colorado, where I help with local projects to help those struggling in the community. And now, here's our show. Sit next to Daddy. One of these days, this, this show's gonna come on, and there's gonna be a full-on uh, fist fight going on. Just probably <laughs> people like a barroom brawl happening. <laughs> and then everyone, that'll be our biggest episode to date. Will be that episode. Yes, will be podcast brawls. Right. It's like the Jerry Springer show uh, of podcast. So on to the topics. I know we had uh, we were going to have an, uh, an initial topic for today. There's something that came up that I just wanted to cover, touch on real quick because it's it's in the news and just want to discuss. So Trump just had his trial with Eugene Carroll, and he's been ordered to pay like $83.3 million, $83. million um, for defamation. And they were talking, I was listening to what each person was saying in uh, response. Trump's response was that he was going to appeal it, the decision. And what, curious, do you guys know how appeals work in general? I know how the appeals work for the guys that are uh, like appealing, you know, criminal criminal felony offenses, you know, serious offenses like murder and so forth, or in TD in Texas prisons. Generally, that means that the person actually makes his appeal. He does twenty years in prison and then <laughs> and then gets found innocent or let go or, or has to or, or manages to prove his innocence. Yeah, the twenty years in prison, spending every day in the law library. Uh, sending, <laughs> yeah, begging, begging someone out there to give a damn, right? It's constantly in sending mail every day, getting uh, hundreds of letters back every day. Um, it's that guy that wants to sit down with you in the chow hall and start talking to you about it. He starts pulling out his legal work, and your eyes glaze over, and all you want to do is eat your chicken nuggets and go, right? <laughs> and, he, and the guy holds you there for hours explaining to you the, the all the ins and outs of the law that he has really no idea what he's talking about the stuff that he, he's made up in his mind how he's going to get out of prison and he and then you ask him he's like how what job do you have and he's like oh i'm uh uh what is it medically unassigned medically unassigned yeah, i'm medically on medical unassigned. squad or yeah. yeah they go to the law they have enough time to go to the law library three times a day 
When they catch a chain, they have six bags of nothing but paperwork. <laughs> right. And, and then when they get to the unit and they have their, their legal locker, their legal locker is full of commissary and doesn't have any legal work in it. Right. Yeah. So, yes. So that that's uh, our all of our experience in prison. And I'll tell you one thing. Well, all of our experiences, because some of them, you know, the guy actually didn't do it, or at least he right. didn't, wasn't as guilty as they made him out to be. And they uh, and they eventually got let go. And we also, and also because we were at the Stringfellow unit, which was um, out in Rocheron, outside of Houston, we could listen to the prison show and we got to hear about all the death row appeals um, that were going on. And that was a big, big one. Dave, what were you going to say about that? Also, speaking of the, yeah, the death penalty, uh, so they just killed a guy with the new, the nitrogen. You yeah, see that on, the, on the second try. Yeah, that was impressive. They killed yeah. the guy. They said they the, the guy um, tried to appeal in Alabama, saying basically they they tried to kill him once, and yep. with just the regular injection, it didn't work. It didn't take. Um, so they tried. A, they said they were going to use a new um, gas. And the guy was saying, no, that's cruel and unusual. You already sent me to death to the chair once. You know, I don't want to do this. That would be cruel to make me go through this whole thing again. And they did it anyway. And even other countries commented on it and said that this is cruel and unusual and should not be done and is pretty awful. Yeah. Okay, what was what is this nitrogen thing? They ga- they put them in a gas so chamber. Like they gas you, and it replaces all your oxygen with nitrogen. So you just basically you suffocate. You suffocate over a period of time. So <clears> there's <throat> another, a, huh? No, yeah, you'll eventually pass out, and then after you pass out, you'll die. Right. But yeah, I agree with you. It's they suffocate you over a, a period of time, which, I mean, that's gotta suck. They they had the witnesses who were there. Like one of the witnesses was describing it said basically they had to hold him down um, and then they were trying to hide his face as he basically like started puking and everything and everything was coming out out of like just slobber and everything was coming out and he was choking and shaking and it was clearly painful what was happening to him and over like 10 minutes you know well i don't agree with the death penalty so but what if you're i don't know your wife your brother somebody family member was brutally tortured and killed by somebody right and they caught that person and they gave them the death penalty i mean would you care if they suffered or would you like it that they suffered when they died considering they made your loved one suffer now, see, this is exactly the first place that everyone texting goes. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. The idea, of course, of course, it's a natural desire to want vengeance and to want to do those and to want to hurt the person back and all that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you would want to, but is it the right thing to do is the, is the real question. Oh, no. Because you want to, I mean, doesn't make it any better. I mean, right, but that's, that's a whole other question. That's not the question I asked. My question I asked was, do you want? Would, to, yeah, would you want so, that? I mean, or would you care if the person suffered? I would. I and I'll. This is the honest answer. I would. <laughs> I would. I would like. Part of me would very much want want bad things to happen to whoever did whatever. 
and I could see that in me and I would have to fight that part because part of me would know that that whatever happens to that person, even though they did awful things to someone I love and care about, whatever happens to him is now on me. So I have, I have, would need to restrain myself because I don't want to be that person that did the things to the people I care about. Fair. I get that. So very good answer. So, but yeah, that, that's pretty awful. Anyway, to the back to appeals, appeals. My lawyer told me when I was um, having my, did my sentencing said straight up, it's like, you can appeal your case. But the thing is, when you appeal your case, that means that it was not done properly. You did not have a fair hearing. You did not do anything. It does not mean you didn't like the result. If everything was done properly, you can't appeal. It's not possible. If a higher judge takes your case, that means they agree not that they didn't like the ruling. It, they agree that something went wrong with the lower ruling. And that's why they, they accept the case. And a lot of times, like when, it, when something gets passed all the way up to the Supreme Court, it's violating some other – It's the ruling may be just fine. But it's just that it's violating something else that might they, they're saying is not constitutional. But that so the fact the the thing that that reminded me of the fact that Trump was like I'm just going to appeal it, and a lot of people are like I'm just going to appeal it. Well, no, you know that's there's a difference. Yeah, there's a big difference. It's kind of like O.J. Simpson saying I'm going to fight this in court, and you saying I'm going to fight your case in court. It's it's a completely different thing when you're rich and famous. Right. You know, all the rules of, 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 you know, all the protections that you're afforded to make sure that you're uh, 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 treated as if you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And they actually have to prove it. They don't just have to, you know, have a Diego, ah, you know, he did it, you know, type of thing. And then right. you get sent to prison like they do in Texas. When you don't have money and you got a court appointed lawyer, I mean, you're pretty much just at the mercy of, of whatever the the, the 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 good old boys that are on the other side of the bench there kind of have made up their mind about because they're already decided what they're going to do before before the whole thing starts. That's yeah, I you have the kind of money that Trump does. Trump can Trump's not no stranger to lawsuits. This or, or to fighting things out in court. They. These lawyers are experts at just keeping stuff tied up so damn long that everybody just don't give a damn anymore. Right. Which is, that is one of the biggest things is that it's a lot of people, I think they think things are about whether or not they're right or wrong, but honestly, it's about whether you can either, you can put, you can grease the right palm and get them to take, like you, if you can pay off a judge and have them take the case, then great. Then now you get to hear your case and to a judge who is already favorable to you, or you can go, uh, or you can pay off a whole team of lawyers to find one clause that 
made that, you know, one rule standard or practice that wasn't followed in this last hearing that will allow that um, case to be heard again in front in front of another judge. The same clauses, they wouldn't give a damn though. They wouldn't care. They're not going to let you off on a technicality is how they're going to put it. They'll damn sure let Trump off or let somebody who's got the right amount of money off on a technicality. Well, and all this, you know, all the all the all their protections. What do they call that? Uh, uh, the Miranda rights? No, no, no. There's a there's a certain term for it. Uh, uh, gosh, I can't. It, it, it eludes me. It's one of those legalese terms that, that's there to protect you before due process. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Due process. You absolutely have to have due process. You know, whenever I was uh, I, I was looking into um, juvenile laws right before I got out, like last few years, I uh, before I got out of prison, I was really thinking real heavily about uh, about the uh, the death penalty case, where the Supreme Court ruled that you could not execute someone who committed a crime before the age of eighteen. Instead, you give them a life sentence. Right, and so then I go, so I go down the law library and I look at and I read the the dissenting statements that were made by all these Supreme Court judges, and it's all about reduced culpability. That because previous to this, they had already ruled the Supreme Court had previously ruled that you couldn't uh, you couldn't execute someone who was um, uh. I don't want to say retarded. I'm say, I just said the word anyways, but I'm just, you know, someone who's a quit being, quit being racist of like a low IQ or something, you know, if, if you're mentally ill or retarded or you have like Down syndrome or something and you commit a crime, you have reduced culpability. There's special right? needs alone. They're not retarded. Well, you know what I mean? Special needs. Yeah. Look, I, I don't mean any offense when I say that. Right? Yeah, I, 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 do. I take it. Don't take anything. Uh, don't, don't be uh, upset about that. I'm special needs. Huh? Yeah. We know. Uh, so the point being is that uh, they said since they've determined that, that due to their reduced culpability, well, then they said that same thing applies to someone before the age of 18. Of course, their brain is not as developed. They have not developed a full personality or, you know, a, 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 a mechanism by which they can deal with, you know, the, how the world works and so forth. So therefore, you can't punish them the same as you do adults. And so which Texas somehow or another managed to take that message and then turn around and say, I know we're going to punish them even more, even more so than we do adults. And, but they, uh, um, so I was looking into that and thinking, well, if it applies to the death penalty, why doesn't it apply to, to lesser cases? If you're going to say that the worst possible uh, kind of crime, which is a death penalty crime, is something that you have a reduced amount of culpability and then, then even more so, shouldn't you say that a lesser crime you would have a, a greatly reduced level of culpability? So why would it mean that they would have a, a sentence that's in excess of what someone who is an adult would get for these crimes? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you can get a teenager in those courtrooms, and they have absolutely no ability to defend themselves. They don't have any money. They don't have anybody. They don't have any any knowledge of the law or the way the world works or anything like that. They're, they are a sitting duck. You can you can do as you please with them. And oftentimes, prosecutors love to build up their popularity and this tough-on-crime image in Texas by sending teen, sending fifteen-year-olds to prison for life. I absolutely they love to do that, and they love the the thing. One of the things that has been a popular thing to do is to take um, 
uh, definitely in Texas and definitely in certain parts, take a take a 15-year-old and just paint them as the devil. Like they're one of those rambunctious kids who has been causing they're the one who's been causing all the gang violence. They're the ones who's they're coming after your kid. They're coming after your, your whatever. They're they're one of the most awful ones and we're and and Texas is so you, great you because they they'll put them in prison for life anyway. So yeah. In in the in the 80s in the 70s from 19 uh, what was it 70 to 1979 Texas had sent only five juvenile, five people under the age of 18, sentenced them to more than 40 years. But there was only five of them in a decade. By the next decade, it jumped up to 55 in the 80s. And by the 90s, it jumped up to 610. They, well, there was a whole, they had a whole documentary about the crime rates and how they kind of, uh, they basically, for they were like we had high crime rates like especially like in the 70s they went in recorded in our recorded history in the united states crime rates were probably at their highest in the 70s right then they start they've been dropping really ever since we had a brief upturn in the 90s and as soon as that upturn happened, there was a big, that's when it was like, we need to be tough on crime, tough on everything. And just, and we need to start building prisons and we need to, and we need to fill them. And it went nuts, just nuts on um, filling the prisons, filling and um, locking people up and getting, and the, the number of people who locked up, who we've locked up compared to the crime rate which the crime rate since the 90s still dropping like it went once again brief little uptick during covid but it didn't go above where it was at in the 70s it never did it just it just went slightly up on a graph that's going down but we've locked up way more people than we ever did in the 70s yeah and funny enough it's those hippies from the 70s that were you know, were going around telling everybody how we need to break free from the constraints of society's molds, and they and, and they're the ones who established the sort of the uh, who, who brought in the, the the drug and rock and roll lifestyle and all that type of thing that's kind of associated with with the criminal element that came into power in the in the 90s is whenever that generation came into power. That's whenever they they came into office. Bill Clinton was one of them. Bill Clinton became president, and of course. The remainder of his generation took all the other seats of power. And those were the Bill Clinton himself was the absolute most egregious event, offender with his, uh, what was it called? Uh, cops bill, the one where he gave millions. It's crime of bill. Of That's what it's called. The crime small bill. Town police officers, uh, small town police stations everywhere. And, well, who do you know who was the one who presented it to Clinton? Who presented it to Clinton? Joe Biden. Uh, didn't surprise me. Kamala Harris, another one, DA locking people up. Yeah, Kamala it was. We've they became, we've gotten a lot of people who um, go through and like the the people right now. If I was to pick the the two people who would 
um, lock up the most amount of citizens, who I would think would lock up the most number of citizens, we've got them in the White House right now. That's what I just got. I thought you were on camera. I'm sorry. I didn't want you to be embarrassed on camera. Sorry. It's all right. Well, Dave, what do you want? What What do you want to talk about? <laughs> um, what do I want to talk about? Yes. I don't know, actually. I haven't given it much thought. I mean, it's just, I've been kind of, well, I'm well. I'm, that's just an excuse. I haven't thought of anything, so no. Um, you can always talk about how you get out of prison with $100 and uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. That's always, that's a nice thought. First, when I first came down, it was $200. So, when, you know, what I've come to realize, too, is that the first year you get out, <clears throat> it's easy. You just got out, trying to catch back up. You're just excited to be in life, in the world again, right? Life is good, right? And, you know, generally, most people are staying with somebody or something. So, you know, probably your rent situation is pretty cool or nil or none. And then... You know, then you start making grown-up moves and start doing adult things, and uh, things just kind of snowball from there. You know, I get to the second and third year, and it's like, okay, it's a little harder than it was. Each year is a little harder, and I get, you know, I'm starting on the fourth year, and I'm like, damn, I'm broke, and I got bills. But you know, and in, in that respect, yeah, not that like I, that. I, I can I can see why some people give up, and they're just like. You know, and I'm not doing this anymore. I keep trying. I'm not getting anywhere. You know, it's like, so they're like, you know, the hell with it. I'm going to go back to doing whatever, you know, what I know how. And uh, it kind of sucks. But because, man, what I've come to realize, too, it just doesn't get any easier. It's just life, man, you know. You know, uh, I never thought it was all that particularly hard. I mean, I've had downtown downs. I mean, I've, I lost, I mean, my car broke down. My freaking, I've always known before I got out of prison that, you know. I'm, he lost two cars. People are living, most people, most people are living literally paycheck to paycheck. Oh, I I, I had that scare too. One paycheck away from being out there in the streets. You know, and and I've experienced that. My car breaks down, my car broke down, I couldn't get to work. What do you do? You lose your job. Next thing you know, you're going to lose your house. You got somebody taking you to work at five in the morning. I was going to say, Malone, you are like commander of the understatement after spending 30 years in prison. You came out. Um, you fortunately, once again, you, you fortunately had a really good support group that was able to find you really awesome housing and get you into a job. The job was as great as they were to offer the job. The job was insane. Like it was took up the majority of your life. So that like, so then you couldn't do the art stuff that you were able, that you wanted to do. And then you lost cars you've lost phones ipads uh uh um, lost got lost and didn't know oh i get lost a lot that is a, that is a that is a problem you're out of prison that's that's one thing i know been in, after you've been in prison for 30 years i'm talking about you two steps off from where you're supposed to be and, and you start to panic because you don't know where you are it's right been, it's horrible it is a, it is the most horrifying feeling I think I've ever had is, is is getting lost. How did that feel like the first day you got out? I remember when I got out, my first stop was Bucky's, and I was tripping. I mean, <laughs> I was like, what 
the hell? All these choices, you know, for stuff and snacks. And there's all these women that weren't like African or Nigerian, you know? And I was just like, what is going on here? And I was tripping. I got, what was that like for you, Malone? Uh, I went to Starbucks because I'd heard how great Starbucks was and I love coffee. And so I went over there and thinking that I was about to get the best coffee, the best cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. I mean, I had been thinking about this cup of coffee for a long decades. I've thought about this. Cup but of you've coffee. been drinking instant coffee for decades. Right. And I Black could bag. not wait to get, my, to get my hands on this Starbucks coffee. I've been hearing about for decades and I got down there and I ordered a cup of coffee and I put that thing to my lips and it was and it was lukewarm and just, just as bland as it could be. It was terrible. I was so disappointed. I couldn't believe I spent three dollars on that. That's it? Yeah. You can easily spend like eight, nine dollars for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I was I was deeply disappointed. It's what what I call like what you call coffee versus what I call coffee is the main difference between Starbucks and what's good at Starbucks and what is bad at Starbucks. That's yeah. exactly. hey, Shout but, out hey. to Barnaby's, though. I had a cup of coffee over there. Let's see what I do have. I've got a hot pot, and i got some instant coffee. Too good to go. I really do have a hot pot. I know. <laughs> yeah.